Mark chapter 11 verses 12 to 25. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Well, if you're a, a Christian here this morning or watching online, um, you may know that we're called by Jesus to be fruitful. But... Um, what does that mean? We may know the passage in John 15 where Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Again, what does that mean? And how do we know if we're being spiritually fruitful? Is it how many... Bible studies we do, how often we attend church, how many conversations we have others about our faith, how many different ways in which we, we serve in the church, how much we've given to the church. Well, all those things may be some sort of indicator of spiritual fruitfulness, but fruitfulness is not so much about what we're doing, but about our relationship with God. How healthy is our relationship? To what extent do we trust him? To what extent do we obey him? So far in this series on prayer, we've been looking at our attitude to prayer, that we should pray from our hearts, uh, with compassion for those in need, approaching God in humility, appealing to his mercy. We've looked at how we should pray, in accordance with God's will, that we should seek to align our wills to God's will and be more interested in our hearts being changed than our circumstances being changed. Well, this morning we're continuing to look at how we pray, but to do that we have to remind ourselves why is it we pray? There may be many reasons why we pray. Is it just because, um, well, that's what we're meant to do as Christians? Maybe we just want to get things from God? Well, ultimately the reason we pray is to grow in our relationship with God, to become more fruitful. In prayer, we're not just communicating with God, we're, we're going deeper in a relationship with him, which means growing in our faith in God and growing in obedience to him. 
If you ever wonder how it is that, that some Christians appear to be so healthy in their relationship with God, so on fire for him. I think you can trace that back to a healthy prayer life. Prayer is a source of fruitfulness. As the 19th century Scottish preacher Robert Murray McShane repeatedly said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. We can't grow in our relationship with God without prayer. Because our growth comes from God's power at work within us. And we, we ask God in prayer for him to be at work in us. Well, the teaching about prayer in this passage, if you've got your Bibles open, appears to come in the last four verses, in verses 22 to 25. But the rest of the passage with the, the strange story about the fig tree, probably the quite well-known episode about Jesus overturning the tables in the temple, is building up to to that point. So let's have a look how that is. Well, in chapter 11, uh, Jesus has arrived in Jerusalem on a donkey, in what's commonly referred to as Palm Sunday. And unsurprising, the first place Jesus goes to when he enters the city is the place of worship, the temple. Verse 11 says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's like he's doing a bit of a recce to, to assess the situation before he goes into action. He then retires to get a good night's sleep in, the, in Bethany, which is just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And the next morning, no doubt bright and early, we're told in verse 12 that as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And what's that all about? Um, is Jesus in a bit of a mood because he didn't have enough breakfast, takes it out on the tree? I'm sure we've all been there when we've been hungry and get a little bit irritable. Well, no, this is what is called a prophetic sign act or an acted out parable. Jesus is making a teaching point here. A bit like when the Old Testament prophets did something a little bit strange to illustrate their point. Remember when Jeremiah was told by the Lord to get a clay pot and smash it in front of the people? To illustrate what would happen to them if they continued to reject God and turn their backs on him. What was the point Jesus was making with the fig tree? Well, trees that have lots of leaves can appear healthy, can't they? Um, I know that from our own experience. We've got a couple of apple trees in our back garden that had lots of leaves on this year, but no apples. They looked healthy, but they had no fruit. And what's the point of an apple tree if it hasn't got any apples? And Jesus is illustrating here the spiritual fruitlessness of the people of Israel. They may look outwardly fruitful because they're observing all the rituals and the sacrifices in the temple. But they're not worshipping God from their hearts. There's no real relationship. I don't know whether the disciples would have fully grasped Jesus' point uh, at this stage, but it's about to become clearer as they go into Jerusalem. Have a look at verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts 
and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've made it a den of robbers. Again, this is not Jesus losing it and going on a bit of a a frenzy. He's teaching them an important lesson. That the people have forgotten what the temple is there for. It may look like an impressive building that implies a a devotion to God. They may be making all the right sacrifices. But their worship is empty and meaningless. The temple, Jesus said, is meant to be a house of prayer for all nations. It's become a den of robbers. The traders and the spiritual leaders are putting business before worship. I wonder if you've ever wondered, how was it that one man was able to cause so much chaos in the temple courts? Why didn't they just stop him? Was it not because deep down the people knew that what they were doing was wrong? And they knew that this man had come along and overturned those tables wasn't some sort of madman. He had real spiritual authority. Look what it says in verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. At various points in the Gospels, we're told that the crowds were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he was one who had real authority. And in doing what he did, Jesus was demonstrating the the spiritual fruitlessness of Israel's leaders and teaching the people where their priorities should lie. Well, the following morning back in Bethany, the disciples see the fig tree again. And now it's become withered as a result of Jesus' curse. It's a reminder of the warning that Jeremiah had given hundreds of years earlier when he said this, I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord, There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. Their leaves will wither. What I've given them will be taken from them. Jesus' action in cursing the fig tree was a symbolic action that pointed to God's punishment of Israel for turning away from him. The temple, which should be the place of heartfelt worship, had become instead a place of barren religion and ritual attended by people whose hearts were far from God. Now, it's easy to read this passage um, today and just look down on those Jewish leaders. But we have to look at our own hearts, don't we, as well? If we are Christians, then it's because we've acknowledged that in our own strength, we are powerless. It's only by God's grace, his undeserving love, that we have been forgiven and we enjoy a relationship with God. And that means we're now his children. But are our lives bearing fruit? Are we growing in our relationship with God? And that's where the passage links to the theme of prayer. Because prayer helps us grow in our faith in God. When Peter expresses his surprise that the, the tree that Jesus had cursed has indeed withered, Jesus responds like this. He says, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, 
and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. With a reference to throwing a mountain into the sea as a, as a figure of speech, like the one Jesus used about a camel going through the eye of a needle, expressing a, uh, an apparent impossibility. And yet everything is possible with God. Jesus is saying that the most important thing that anyone can have is faith in God. If you want a relationship with God, then ask for it in prayer. And God will do the impossible. He will soften the hardest of hearts. He will overcome the doubts of the uh, the greatest skeptic. And he will do that through Jesus. Jesus has come to open the way for us to have access to God. And in so doing, to replace the temple as the focal point for that worship. In the account of the same episode in John's Gospel, uh, we're told that the Jews asked Jesus, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And what Jesus answers is this. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Well, they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But we're told it, the temple he had spoken of was his body. Through his death on the cross, through the sacrifice of his body, Jesus achieved the impossible. Our forgiveness and our reconciliation with God. Now you may ask, well, isn't the passage here talking more about more than just coming to faith? Isn't it saying, I can have anything I want if I just ask and believe? Well, sadly, there are some who interpret it in that way, commonly known as, as name it, claim it, or the prosperity gospel. And the problem with such a view is that it suggests that we are in control of our lives, and we are in control of God. We're pulling the strings because what we believe will happen determines what will happen. Therefore, if we don't get what we ask for, it must be because we don't have enough faith. Um, as if our faith is stronger than God's sovereign grace. And such of you appeals to our natural instincts um, uh, that we want health, wealth and happiness now, which of course is why it's so popular in many parts of the world, but also why it's so dangerous. The Bible teaches that Jesus didn't come to give us health, wealth and happiness now. Instead, he came to save us from our sins so that we can have a relationship with God and enjoy an eternity of happiness with him. And so when we read a passage like this, we have to put it in the context of the rest of the Bible's teaching about prayer. Last week, we looked at what it means to pray in accordance with with God's will. The prayer is not simply about getting what I want, but submitting my will to God's will, aligning my will to his Our goal in this life is to grow in our relationship with God. And that should be reflected in the focus of our prayers. That's not to say that God doesn't care about our daily practical worries. Of course he does. But he's more concerned with our spiritual health, our fruitfulness. Because if our relationship with God is healthy, then we will not just be able to cope with the, uh, the trials that come our way, as they will, but we're able to rejoice in them because God is using them for our good. 
When Paul prayed for the Christians in Ephesus, he prayed for their, their spiritual needs. And having praised God for all the spiritual blessings they had in Jesus, he went on to pray this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. That's the title for the series in, in prayer that we're doing. I pray that you'll know God better. And knowing him better means growing in our faith in him. And what helps us to grow in our faith in God is, is seeing him answer our prayers or the prayers of our, our fellow Christians. It's great the other week in the, uh, the, uh, for the Sunday at five prayer meeting at five o'clock on a Sunday evening to hear people sharing how God had answered some prayers that they had been praying. Big prayers. What is it that stops us from asking God for big things? Is it because we struggle to believe that he really can do the impossible? Maybe we're praying for a friend or a family member to, to know Jesus. But what we see is someone who has no interest at all in Jesus, who's happy with their life, doesn't even want to talk about Jesus. And therefore we might pray, but we don't really believe that God has the power to change them. If we're praying for the needs of our country, we look around us and we just see brokenness all around. And we think, well, that's never going to change. Do the obstacles to our prayers being answered appear bigger to us than God himself for whom nothing is impossible so the story of excuse me Peter walking on the water he steps out of the boat starts to walk on the water towards Jesus then he stops looking at Jesus and he's aware of the the winds and the waves around him and he starts to sink Let's not focus on the troubles of this life all around us, but on our God, who's far more powerful and is able to overcome those troubles. As the lyrics of the song go that we're going to finish with um, later on. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. Prayer helps us grow in our faith in God. And secondly, prayer helps us grow in our obedience to God. If you flick over the page in your Bibles to chapter 12, verse 28, you read of an episode there in which Jesus was asked, which is the most important commandment? And he answers, This, the most important one, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well, one of the key ways in which we can be obedient to God is to love our neighbor as ourselves. What does that love look like? Well, it can take different forms, but it may be helpful first to think how God has showed his love towards us so we can know how to love others. And the greatest way in which God has showed his love for us was to send his son to die for us so that we can be forgiven 
for our sins. But if that is how God loved us, then the greatest way in which we can love our neighbor is to show obedience to, to God by forgiving them. Which is why Jesus finishes this passage by saying in verse 25, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. Say that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And the Lord's Prayer that we prayed at the start of our service, we prayed, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sinned against us. It's not always easy, is it? Especially if the thing that we hold against them is deep-rooted and has caused much pain over many years. However, if we are carrying a grudge, we can't just leave it and hope it will go away, because it won't. It's why it's important to deal with grievances as they arise and before they have a chance to, to fester. That's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that said it, that if you're bringing an offering to the Lord and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, then leave the gift there and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. The reason I think we often find it hard to forgive is because of our pride, isn't it? We feel we were the one who was wronged, and that needs to be made clear. Justice has to be done. The trouble is that if true justice was done, then we would all face eternal punishment. Jesus was perfectly innocent, yet willing to undergo the, the worst injustice for our sakes, so that we could be declared innocent. And that's important when we find it hard to forgive. He's written off a huge debt that we owe him. Are we really going to hold on to that minor debt that somebody has towards us, even if we think it's huge? Well, the current crisis has made us all, I think, quite vulnerable. The less contact we, we have with people, the more anxious and irritable, depressed that we, we might feel. And the more we are in that state, the more prone we will be to falling out with people, whether it's friends or family, colleagues, maybe fellow church members. So we do need to be praying for protection from relationship breakdown, from any of us either causing offense or being offended. We need to be praying together, because those who pray together stay together. And if we do fall out with someone, we need to deal with it. We need to forgive them. God treasures the unity of his people because it glorifies him. He is a perfectly unified God. Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, live in total harmony with each other. And as Christians, we're called to reflect that unity to a world that is becoming increasingly divided. Look at what's going on in the U.S. and the presidential elections. Look at what's going on in this country between the government and the devolved administrations, between the U.K. and Europe. There's division all around. As a church... We are made up of people with very different personalities, different backgrounds, but united in our faith in God and our love for him and for each other. 
So let's pray that one of the, the key differences that people see in us as Christians is that we have a forgiving spirit. We're not those who fall out with each other, who hold grudges against each other, who gossip about each other. But we are those who love one another as Christ has loved us. Well, as we finish, let's not be those who treat God as another Facebook friend who we contact occasionally. Let's be those who treasure his friendship above all others. Let's be those who seek to grow in our relationship with him through prayer. Praying that we and our brothers and sisters in Christ would grow in our faith in God and in our obedience to him. So before we stand for our final song, let's take a moment to pray now. Just pray quietly and ask God to show you where you maybe are lacking in faith. Maybe where you're lacking in love for others. Maybe there is still somebody you need to forgive. Ask God to fill you with his spirit to increase your faith and increase your love. It's a moment of quiet before our final song comes up.